Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. In this podcast, Jack and I discuss ways investors can try to avoid value traps by implementing fundamental and other checks within the stock selection process. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Uh, earlier in the year, you wrote a article on some of, uh, I guess, the, the pitfalls of value investing, but maybe more importantly, how an investor can try to avoid value traps. And as you wrote about and as you pointed out, um, you know, there's pluses and minuses of attempting to do that. Um, but what I think you've found in some of your testing and also in some of the other people we follow is that, you know, a value strategy or a systematic value strategy can be improved upon um, by looking at and doing um, certain things. So maybe if you want to talk about just at the at a high level, um, sort of some of the pitfalls of value investing strategies, because I think on the surface, people think that they, you know, think that they always work or they're invincible or something like that. And then we can get into sort of the ways that we found to, you know, do certain things to exclude um, or try to avoid some of these value traps. Yeah, you know, one of the most important things to understand first with value investing is we're buying a portfolio of names that are cheap. And most of those stocks are cheap for a reason. And so when, when we're investing in a portfolio of cheap stocks, you know, we have to expect that there's a lot of things going wrong with these companies. And so one of the most important things to understand about value traps up front is you're not going to avoid value traps. You're buying a bunch of companies that are beaten down. And, you know, what you're hoping is on average, those companies will outperform the market because, you know, the expectations have gotten too bad for those companies. But inside of that average, there are going to be a lot of stocks that are going to do poorly. There are going to be some stocks that are going to do better than expectations. There are going to be some stocks that do what you expect them to do. And so what we're trying to do with a value trap system is we're trying to just, to some extent, limit those stocks in that basket of stocks that end up doing worse than what we expect them to do. But we're never going to eliminate them. We're, there always are going to be value traps in your portfolio. There's always going to be stocks you're going to look back at and say, I never should have bought that. So that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to make a, a small improvement at the margin. You know, you're, you're, I'm never going to come up with a system here that's going to eliminate every value trap and suddenly I'm only buying the value stocks that you know, are not cheap for a reason. That's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So w the most important thing to start out with is you know, I cannot avoid value traps, but by applying some negative filters, I can get the worst companies, some of the worst companies out of there, and, and on the margin I can improve the strategy a little bit. Okay. And I think the first... And do you want to talk about the concept of this sort of a negative screen is better than a positive one? Sure. So, you know, what a lot of people think is if, if you want to enhance your value portfolio, what I should do is buy a bunch of high quality names. And, and that can work. But you have to understand there's a trade off with that. When you start buying high quality names, what you also start doing is reducing the exposure to value in your portfolio. And so there are plenty of people, Warren Buffett is one, who use this mix of quality and value and do very well. But if we're trying to run a deep value portfolio, 
by implementing a positive quality, quality screen, we're getting away from our value to some extent. And so what we do is we run a negative quality screen, which means we're not looking for these great high quality companies. We're looking to just get rid of the 10% of our database that's the absolute worst. We're trying to use a series of criteria to find the companies that you know, have major, major problems and are, are less likely to recover from their current situation than other stocks in our database. Yeah, and I think some of that comes from the research that Toby Carlisle did in his, um, I think it was in Acquires Multiple, where he looked at the Greenblatt methodology, which takes value and return on capital. So you get the quality component in there versus just like something that's buying the cheapest stocks based on EV to EBITDA, or the acquires multiple or EV to EBITDA. And he found that just buying the cheapest stocks was actually a better long-term performing strategy. It may have been more painful at certain points um, in terms of drawdowns and things like that potentially, but it, it did produce the better long-term returns buying the yeah, cheapest you know, he, stuff. Yeah, he found that adding quality to value, you know, overall reduced the return over the long term. Mm -hmm. So. Again, that, that's not a bad strategy, adding quality to value. And he did find the Greenblatt strategy with the quality and the value still outperformed over time. It just didn't outperform as much as value. And right. so what we're, we're trying to avoid here is adding too much quality to our portfolio and losing the value part of it. And so we're, we're trying to use a negative screen just to eliminate the worst stocks. And the other thing we're trying to do is, you know, we, we try to look at this from a practical perspective. So if, if I'm using past fundamentals to determine what's in my portfolio, well, what's going to be the Achilles heel of that type of system? The Achilles heel of that type of system is going to be when those past results, those past financial results, don't tell me about the future. And so as, as we look as into which criteria we're going to use in our negative quality screen, that's where we wanted to start. I didn't want to run a backtesting situation where I went through every variable in our database and said, all right, which ones test out the best, and those are going to be part of my negative quality screen. What I wanted to do is say, what makes sense? You know, what situations mm -hmm. would tell me that the past is not indicative of the future? And then I want to eliminate the worst companies, you know, according to those criteria. So let's, so, um, let's build off that then. The first um, thing that you do is you look at projected future earnings and sales um, versus what they were in the past. Right. And, you know, what we're not saying, so in order to do this, you have to use analyst estimates. And what we're not saying is that analyst estimates are reliable because they're, they're notoriously are unreliable. But what I think analyst estimates are is directionally correct. And so what I mean by that is, let me give you an example. If, if I own ExxonMobil and, you know, ExxonMobil made $3 a share last year, but the price of oil has just plummeted. Well, that plummet of the price in oil is not reflected yet in the earnings of ExxonMobil, but analysts will immediately start cutting their estimates. And mm -hmm. so what you'll see is it made $3 last year, but it might be projected to make nothing next year. Well, that tells me there's a huge gap there between the past results I'm relying on and the reality of the future. And so this is the first step in our negative quality screen. We, we sort every company by the difference between what it did in the most recent year and what it's supposed to do in the future. And we eliminate the, wor the absolute worst stocks right at the bottom. Yeah, I like that energy example because that's exactly what happened at the end of 15, I think, is when you know, oil prices went from whatever it was, $100 a, a barrel to like 30. And the earnings you know, weren't, hadn't caught up yet with the future uh, well, the stock, I mean, a lot of those energy companies got crushed, but, you know, that decline in the price of oil wasn't reflected in the earnings, um, the reported earnings of companies at that point in time. Yeah, and you can see that with a lot of different events. You know, the past fundamentals are, by definition, the past. Mm -hmm. And so when something changes quickly and, you know, the future looks completely different than the past, these analyst estimates are one way to get to reflect that. Because if I'm using purely past fundamentals, I can't get to that. 
I can't figure out that event that happened, you know, that's going to make the future look very different than the past. Right, right. Okay. Number two is that when you see big differences between operating, um, operating cash flows and earnings. Yeah, and this plays on the whole principle that earnings to some degree can be, be manipulated. And that if, if earnings are not supported by cash flow over a period of time, you know, there's probably something going on with the earnings. And so this is just another check we do f to make sure that, you know, what's going on behind the scenes makes sense. So we, we want to make sure that cash flow is at least somewhat, you know, similar to what's going on with earnings. And, and again, we're not getting companies that are, you know, the middle of the road and eliminating them. We're looking for the absolute worst. So we're looking for companies where the difference between what they're earning and their cash flow is dramatic. The, that lowest, you know, 10% of our database, that's what we're looking to get rid of. Okay. Uh, number three is screening on high levels of debt. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, Dan Rasmussen has found with value stocks that a reasonable amount of debt actually helps you a lot over the long term. You know, an amount of debt that you can sustain is, mm -hmm. is sort of leverage, operating leverage within the company that allows you to enhance your returns. When debt becomes a problem is when it gets out of hand, when it gets to be too much. Because if you think about it, these value companies all have significant problems with their business. And, you know, what can lead those significant problems to go over the hill, you know, to be to be too much that they can't get through it? And what can do that is very high levels of debt. Because if anything goes wrong and you have high levels of debt, you have very little leeway to play with there. And so that's why we try to screen out the companies with the absolute highest levels of debt to make sure that, you know, any, any company that has that kind of debt, you know, could have problems in the future and, and they may not be able to get through those problems. And so we screen out high levels of debt to try to avoid that. Yeah, two things. I think with Rasmussen, you know, what he's found is that as that bankruptcy risk comes off and these companies' businesses stabilize, you get multiple expansion. So that's actually what leads in part to that, the, the good performance out of that segment of stocks, um, which is mostly in the small cap universe is where his research and his strategy focuses on. Um, just shaking that out a little bit more. The other thing that, and it kind of plays into where we are in t you know, today's world, which is, you know, more and more companies have debt, more debt. I mean, you know, corporate, you know, business has issued a lot of debt over the past, you know, 10 years. And so it'll be interesting to see just, you know, as things shake out and in the next downturn, the recession, how companies with those high levels of debt are able to uh, make it through it. Yeah, and you know, one of the things Dan found in his work is, you know, when you couple a reasonable amount of debt with the ability to pay it back because you have cash flow, mm -hmm. the, you know, you've actually shown that you are paying it back historically, so you've shown a willingness to pay back debt, you know, right. and you also have a strong balance sheet, well then, you know, the debt is very manageable, you know, and what we're trying to look at is the opposite end of that spectrum. You know, companies that have a lot of debt and that may not be able to pay back that debt, and that debt may take them over the cliff, you know, during the next downturn. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the last um, thing that we screen on is, and you kind of group these things together, it's very low relative strength and high short interest. Yeah, and we use, we use relative strength for our screen, but some, some other people use short interest, but they're really trying to get at the same exact thing. And they're trying to get at what did I miss? So I, I looked at all these fundamental criteria in our first three, but what if something else is going wrong with the company that we just don't know about, that we just can't see in any of our other screening criteria? And, you know, if there's high short interest, there's a chance that probably is the case because shorts are usually typically very smart. And so if there's a huge amount of short interest in a stock, something might be going on that I didn't see in my other criteria. And the same thing with high relative strength. If the relative strength is at the absolute bottom, 
you know, something is not just going wrong with the business, something is going horribly wrong with the business. And, and I may not see that in my other screens. And so we use, short, we use relative strength on our side to screen out the absolute worst companies, the, the companies with the bottom of the barrel relative strength, just to cover a situation where our other criteria might have missed something. Okay. You know, and this is in, the, actually just last week, there was an, a paper in the um, journal, I think of finance, where uh, some researchers tested back to 2000, this idea of introducing sort of these negative, I guess, quality and other screens as a way to improve the performance of um, a value portfolio. And what they found is that they actually got improved versus like a, if they hold a 40 stock uh, portfolio, a value stock selected by like a composite of value metrics, they actually found that by introducing things like this, they were able to improve the actual raw performance and also improve the sharp ratio. So this concept that you're talking about has actually been tested in the academic world and over the long term, and it's shown the ability to, um, you know, at least improve performance in with that paper and that testing. And we'll put we'll put that paper in the show notes. It's called focused value. It was something that Larry Swedell um, highlighted and it was on Alpha Architects website. And it's something also, you know, a lot of the other quantitative firms we respect do the same thing. They have some sort of negative quality screen. And, and what's also important to understand is there is no right way to do this. You know, if you looked at another firm, the, the criteria they use, it'll be different than ours. You know, if you look right. at what was in that academic paper you looked at, that's also different than ours. There's no perfect way to do this. And no matter what you do, you're going to still have value traps in your portfolio. But I think the concept of negative screening ha has a lot of academic and practitioner research to support it. That's great. And that might be a good way to wrap up this episode. So thank you very much for joining us. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.